Second thing I want to mention is uh, we sent out the surveys to you, I guess, in October. We asked you to pray and uh, ask the Lord how he would have you commit. Uh, this, is, this is a really different kind of uh, year, in case you hadn't noticed. There's been some stuff going on. And, uh, and so we're trying to get ready for 2021. And, and it's an interesting dynamic when you're trying to get ready for things when it comes to the kingdom, because you got verses that say things like, um, God makes his, or man, man makes his plans, but the Lord orders his steps, which almost sounds like, ah, don't even plan, right? But it really doesn't necessarily mean don't plan. It, it kind of means make a plan, but expect God to do better than your plan or be, be willing uh, for God to, to turn you uh, degrees to the left or to the right uh, as he moves you to, to his plan. Um, there are also verses that say things like, don't start building a house unless you have counted your supplies and you know you have enough to finish it because you don't want to get halfway or three-fourths of the way in and run out. So count the costs before you start. And so the balance of those things is that we pray and we seek the Lord and we try to hear and we make a plan and we expect God to do better than our plan. And so one of the reasons we asked you to fill out these surveys is so we can kind of make a plan. Uh, but we also believe that God will add faith to that plan and expand it and make it even better. So here, here's a couple of pictures to kind of let you know how, how we're doing. So picture number one, the total number of families that have turned in. This is not number of people, but the number of families that have turned in uh, so far. Uh, the survey is 77 that was at the end of, uh, I think that was Thursday of last week. And then the total financial commitment for the year would be $345,000, roughly. Next slide. These are the ministries that people have signed up for. If you can kind of read that graph, the numbers go up. So the top number being 31. Maybe you can't read those, but it's alpha, is in this order. Alpha, altar ministry, dance ministry, finance team, guest services, missions, RS Kids, RS Youth, RS Young Adults, small groups, small group leaders, the collective, worship, arts, production, Night Healing Prayer, Sozo, and Women's Ministry across the board. So people have signed up, at least someone, at least three people for everything. I think the smallest number so far was production, which was number three, and, it's, and they wanted me to let you know that with production, it's not like golf. Low score does not win. And so uh, we need more people. So uh, here's, the, here's what you need to know about the surveys, if you're nervous about filling out the survey. Uh, number one is if you fill out a survey and send it in to us, you will get a phone call but it will be a phone call about those ministries, okay? It'll be like, hey, you signed up for altar ministry and not a healing prayer here. Let me tell you how, how you can get involved in those things. Let me, let me give you some help on getting connected in the things that you said you want to be connected in. Here's the phone call you will not get. Well, okay, Melissa, you, you said you could give $100 a month, but we've actually done some research, and we believe that you can do $200 a month. 
<laughs> you're not going to get that phone call. And you're not even going to get this phone call, you know, six months from now. You said you could do $100 a month, but so far, you're not going to get that phone call either. Okay, so don't be nervous about that. Uh, we really are just trying to figure out who's in, where we're going, let's go together, and uh, make the best plan that we can, but holding it loosely, uh, believing that God uh, will make it even better. Okay, y'all good with that? So, in case you didn't notice, about a fourth of our families have turned this in so far. So in true Riverstone fashion, we're all going to do it the, the last week, right? Hey, guess who hasn't turned theirs in yet? <laughs> Me. So I'm going to do, I'm gonna, we're going to do ours this week, baby. We're going to do it this week. So y'all just jump in there with us. And uh, like a true leader, I'm asking you to do something that I haven't done. So there we go. All right, here we go. Uh, today we're going to look at Luke 15 and... Uh, uh, I'm going to read verses 11 through 32, and uh, maybe we can get that up on the screen, even though I didn't tell them. There we go. They're so good. All right. So this is the parable of the prodigal son. We're just going to, I'm going to read through the story, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. This is probably the most preached parable of all the parables that Jesus told. More sermons probably preached about the prodigal son than just about any. And my pastor at Atlanta First Methodist, uh, when I was in seminary, preached half of them. And uh, we, used, we used to laugh that he would preach on the prodigal son every other Sunday. But it was always different. But there's just so many things that you can do. So here we go. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his 
servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak to us today. We believe uh, that you have things that you want to say to us. Uh, We open our hearts to you. We pray you give us ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, we, we have read this story many times, most, most of us. We've heard sermons on it. We've preached sermons on it. But we believe that there's something you want to say today that maybe we've, we've never heard, never noticed, or, or never took to heart. And so I pray, give us ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So the way the story rolls out is that the younger son comes, and, and uh, he, he's not happy with his life. He doesn't, doesn't necessarily like the way things are going. He's looking for a little bit of freedom. And uh, so he comes to his dad, and he asks for early inheritance. He just says, yeah, give, me, give me what's due me now, let me, and let me just take it and, and just kind of make a stab at, at going on my own here. And so according to Jewish culture, the oldest son gets two-thirds of the inheritance. So the younger son would get one-third. And so uh, the father gives him his one-third. Now, also according to Jewish culture, you're advised not to do that. Uh, it, it, in, in Jewish culture, it is, there's a traditional saying that don't give your money out early, but to wait until you die and let your property be divided at death. And so uh, the father really uh, because of compassion for his son and because it's, you know, it's what his son wanted and he's willing to, to work with his son and give him some freedom. He gives him, even though culture would say to him, don't do it, uh, he gives his son this early inheritance. And his younger son, he gets it, and uh, it doesn't say how long, but it says after some time, uh, he basically takes his inheritance and he cashes it out and he heads off to a distant land uh, to figure things out. And uh, there he squanders it. Now, there's some debate on, on the interpretation uh, of exactly what he did. Some people say he just wasted it. Some people say he uh, was extravagant with it. Uh, some people say that he lost it doing immoral things. Now, we will discover later in this story that his brother, at least, believes that he wasted it doing immoral things. But remember, again, this is, this is a story. This is a story that Jesus is telling, okay? So this is not a recounting of a factual event. This is a parable. 
Um, and so the bottom line is it doesn't really matter whether he spent it just being wasteful, being unwise, being extravagant, or being immoral. The bottom line is it's gone. It's gone. And after it's gone, a famine comes into the land. And so now here he is. Uh, he is in desperate need, and he has nothing. Uh, his whole, the place where he is is in desperate need, and he has nothing, and, and he's hungry. And so uh, when the money is gone, he gets a job feeding pigs. Now, because of the Jewish view of pigs, this job would be considered the worst job a Jewish person could have. Okay, and Jesus is telling this story, and he is doing this on purpose. He's painting a clear picture of the place that this younger brother is in. Not geographically, but just physically, spiritually, emotionally, vocationally. He's painting the picture uh, of this younger son. He is in a desperate place. He is in a horrible place. He is in a place that most Jewish people if they looked at him and said, oh, you're the guy that works for the pig farmer. Stay away from us. That would be the response of most Jewish people because this was considered, pigs were, were considered unclean, and so a pig farmer would be considered uh, someone who has the worst, uh, the worst job, the worst vocation. The Talmud uh, which is a combination of the Mishnah and the Gemara, uh, actually it's, it's the teaching of the Jewish civil and ceremonial law. And it says this, Cursed is the man who raises pigs. So, I mean, that tells you all you need to know about this job. Cursed is the man who raises pigs. Even more cursed is the man who works for the man who raises pigs. Okay. And now, if you want to take it one step further, he says in this story that this guy is so hungry, he wants to eat the pig's food. And so, to take it one step further, even more cursed is the man who wants to eat the food of the pigs that are being looked over by the man who works for the man who owns the pigs. That's about as far down the food chain as you can get. And that's where he is. Now, and at this point of incredible need, he decides to go home. He decides to go home. And if you think about, uh, you know, what we're told in this story, he says, okay, I'm in this place. I'm hungry. My father's servants are doing better than me. My father's servants have plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. So I'll go home. And you know what he does before he starts his journey? He plans his speech. He plans his speech. And, and the beginning of his speech is right there. He says, I'll go home and I'll say to my father, I have sinned against heaven. Now, a, a Jewish person would say, I've sinned against heaven. They wouldn't say, I've sinned against God because the name of God was too holy to mention. And so when he says, I've sinned against heaven, he's actually saying I've sinned against God. So I've sinned against God, I've sinned against my father, I'm not worthy to be called a son. That's the beginning of his speech. Now, he's in a what kind of land? He's in a distant land, right? 
So it's a long journey. Guys, I can preach a sermon three times from my house to the church in my car, right? Y'all, do y'all ever do that? Do y'all have conversations with yourself? You can have conversations with yourself in the car because especially now in this day and age, people think you have earbuds in and they just think you're on the phone. It used to be a little sketchy when you rode around the car talking to yourself, but now in modern day culture, you can do it. I do it all the time. I have conversations with myself. Sometimes it's the only way to have an intelligent conversation. But you have conversations with yourself, right? You do. When you want to talk to somebody and it's really important, don't you play it over in your head? And sometimes don't you say it out loud? Yeah. You want to know how it sounds, right? You're practicing your speech. The last thing you want to do in an important situation is to give a speech off the cuff that you haven't practiced, like right now. And so that's, yeah, I thought it was funny too. So that's what he's doing all the way from a distant land, all the way home. He's practicing his speech. And he, he has a good speech, y'all. It's a good speech. Unfortunately, we, we won't ever get to hear it. We just get to hear the first sentence. Because when he gets there and he says to his father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you, his father doesn't even let him finish. His father just stops him right there and says, bring a robe, bring a ring, and bring some shoes. Bring a robe, bring a a ring, and bring some shoes. And all of that communicates that you are a part of this family. You're a part of this family. And you need to be clothed. You need to be fully clothed. And then he says to the servants, prepare a feast. Now, we know that meanwhile, the older son, he, he comes in and he's not too happy. And when he's told that the younger son is home and that his dad is throwing a party, he, he's really furious. And when the dad comes out to talk to him, he says, this son of yours, right? He doesn't say my brother. He says, this son of yours. And he says, he's, you know, he squandered your money with prostitutes. And, and then he goes on and he says, all these years I have slaved for you. Don't you know that's what the dad wanted to hear from him? All these days I've, all these days I've been your slave. All these years I've been your slave. And you've never even given me a goat so that I could have, I could have a party with my friends. Now, the father's response to the older son is interesting because he doesn't say... Uh, when the, when, the young, when the older son refers to his younger brother and says, this son of yours, he uses a very formal, uh, not very uh, intimate term for son. But then when the father turns around and addresses the older son as son, he actually uses a term that would be interpreted child. He says, my child, which was the most intimate form of, of the word son that you could use. And so the older son is pushing still, pushing the younger son away. But the father is drawing both sons to himself, uh, not just one. And so the father's response is, all I have is yours. Now think about it. This is a true statement. He's already given the third to the younger son. And so everything that remains, the two-thirds inheritance, all of it goes to the older son, which 
maybe part of the reason why he's angry about the party. He's paying for it. <laughs> Jesus tells this parable to illustrate a couple of things. It's, a, it's an interesting parable, and uh, we love to read it. Um, Jesus never wasted words. And, and he tells this parable primarily to a group of Pharisees. And he tells it for a couple of reasons. Number one, he wanted to show them how the Father responds to sinners who repent. He wanted to show, show uh, the Pharisees how the Father, his Father, responds to sinners who repent. Jesus spent a lot of time with sinners, and the Pharisees had, had a big problem with it. Uh, Jesus also wanted to show the Pharisees how they treat those same sinners. And so in this story, God, or, or Jesus, is the father, and the older brother represents the Pharisees. And, and his message then to us is pretty simple. Who do you want to be in the story? Who do you want to look like? Now, a lot of us put ourselves in the story, and we, we most of the time put ourselves in the story as the prodigal because all of us have drifted at some time or other, and all of us have come home, hopefully. Uh, and so typically when we read this story, we like to think of ourselves as the prodigal because we want to be the younger son. We want to be the one that God runs to. We want to be the one who is restored. But I think also God is saying to us, you, you could be the father as well in this story. You can. You can be the one who embraces sinners. You can be the one who, who loves sinners and who is a friend uh, to those who are turning and trying to come home. Or you can be like the older brother if you want. You can be one who pushes away. Uh, the father's posture towards the son is the posture that, that we want to have, not just towards God, but towards people, and especially towards sinners who repent. He saw him, and he went to him. He saw him, and he went to him, and he wasn't reluctant. He didn't make him jump through hoops. He didn't even let him finish his speech. He just went to him. The father's posture was towards the son. I, I have a, had a, a great aunt, Aunt Virgie, and uh, she, uh, she lived to be 96, and she was amazing. She may be the most godly woman uh, I've ever known, certainly the most godly woman I've ever uh, been really close to, and, and uh, she loved Jesus with all of her heart. She lived out in the middle of nowhere. She lived in Spruce Pine, Alabama. There were no red lights in Spruce Pine. They had one stop sign. They had a barbershop that was open every other Thursday. They had a little store that you could go to that had the best ice cream sandwiches, maybe just because uh, they were at Aunt Virgie's house. But it was an incredible little town. It was right there on the highway, a little two-lane highway. And for entertainment, 
what my cousin and I would do at my Aunt Virgie's house because she, did, she didn't have a television, she didn't have a radio, she didn't have, she had a party line telephone. If you, do anybody, any of y'all, you don't even know what that is, do you? <laughs> if you watch a couple of episodes of Andy Griffith, you'll figure it out. But we would stand on the front porch. Now, just get this. This was high entertainment for us. We would stand on the bottom step of her front porch, my cousin and I, and we would lean like this, like we were about to run a race, and we would look down the road and wait for a car. And when we saw a car come up over the hill, we would race to see who could get to the street first, to who could get through the front yard to the edge of the yard where the street was and back to the porch. And the goal was to try to get to the street and back to the porch before the car passed. I'm telling you, try to contain yourself. <laughs> but honestly, when I think about the posture of the father, when the son finally turns, and he starts to make his journey home. And Scripture says that while he was still a long way off, and so you, we have to picture that there's this, a long road that leads to the Father's house, and you can see, maybe for miles, you can see. And the Father hasn't been sitting in his chair in the, inside the house. He hasn't even been sitting in a rocking chair on the porch. I, my picture of him is on the bottom step, just waiting just ready to go. As soon as he sees, as soon as he sees in the distance his son, he takes off like a shot and he runs as fast as he can because the posture of the father has been, it didn't just happen, but from the time the son left until now, his posture has been to lean towards the son in hopes that he would return in expectation that he would return. Now, the older son's posture towards his brother was judgment. Uh, he painted the worst possible picture of the, the brother. He assumed the worst. He says, again, to the father, this son of yours, he doesn't refer to him as a brother of mine. Uh, his posture is against his brother. Even his posture towards his father is not, not the best. It's not good. He considers himself a servant or a slave of his father. He says, I've slaved for you all these years. And, and the desire of his heart, the thing that he's mad about at his father about, is not that he never had a chance to have a party with his father, but he never had a chance to have a party with his friends. And so he doesn't even really want a party with the father. So the father's posture is to lean towards the son. The older son's posture was to have judgment towards his brother. And the call for us is to lean towards the father. And if you lean towards the father, you'll find yourselves leaning towards the lost. If you lean towards the father, you'll find yourself leaning towards the lost. If you lean towards the brother, the older brother, then you'll find yourself standing in judgment. A party with the father, if you choose to have a party 
with the Father, you'll find yourself celebrating and enjoying the parties that he throws for other people. One of the things about this older brother is is he, he was jealous. He was jealous because his brother was being celebrated. How do you do with that? How do you do when somebody else is being celebrated for something that you think you should have been celebrated for? Yeah, me too. Doing great with that, right? Yeah. But if we lean towards the Father, we'll find ourselves celebrating the people that he celebrates. We'll find ourselves enjoying the parties that he throws for other people, not just the parties that he throws for us. Because jealousy is not a fruit of the Spirit. How we treat each other is also embedded in this parable. How we treat each other is, as the body of Christ, because they were brothers, right? They were brothers. Now, the older, the older one didn't act like a brother. The younger one didn't act much like a brother in the beginning. But if we lean towards the Father, we'll find ourselves seeing the good in our brothers and sisters. If we lean away from the Father and towards the older brother, we'll find ourselves judging each other and causing division. And it really comes back to the thing that we talked about last week. Which tree are we eating from? Are we eating from the tree of life? Or are we eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The tree of life will cause us to lean towards the Father and it will produce forgiveness and love and life in us. If we eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it will cause us to lean towards the older son, and it will cause jealousy and judgment and death uh, to rise up in us. One final thought uh, before we pray. Uh, God takes this broken life in this story The father takes a broken life, a wasted life of the younger son and immediately restores it, puts it back together. He gives him everything, everything he needs. Uh, The ring that he puts on his finger says legally, you are my son. It actually probably is a ring that would allow him to purchase things. Uh, It's probably a signet ring that he put on his finger. It'd be just like, giving him a credit card today with no limit. The father gives him everything, just invites him back in and restores him to full sonship. Full sonship. God loves to put together things that have been broken. He does. He he loves. One of his favorite things to do is to take the broken things in our lives and put them back together. He loves to put together broken lives. He loves to put together broken marriages. He loves to put together broken families. He loves to put back together broken friendships. He loves to put back together broken dreams. 
for some of us, when we think about you know, the prodigal son, the picture that we have is a picture of, well, you got to go to a distant land and, and you, you got to waste everything and you got to live incredibly horrible life and, and there's probably prostitutes involved in there somewhere. That's our picture of the prodigal. But honestly, y'all, honestly, the prodigal is, doesn't have to be that extreme. It may just be one step. It may just be drifting. It may just be getting distracted for a moment and getting off course. It could be as simple as missing the point of that last song that we sang. That there is nothing better than him. Falling into a place where he gets kind of pushed back and other things become more important. That's the place of the prodigal. It's simply a place of misplaced priorities. And the call of the Father is, if you'll turn, I'll run. If you will turn, I will run. And I'll put everything back together. Now let's pray. I believe that in this room there are people in so many different places. And, uh, some have gotten sideways with other people and they, they need you to, to lead them in reconciliation, restoration. For some it's friendships, for some it's brothers or sisters, for some it's maybe a husband or a wife. You love to restore. You love to put broken things together. And we just ask you, Lord, we're not, we're not going to try to do it for you so we can say, hey, look what we did. We're, we're asking you to do it in us and to do it for us, to do it in ways that, that we're not capable of. Lord, there are also people in this room who, who have broken dreams, broken dreams. And, and maybe, maybe COVID participated in that. Maybe not. If there's some in this room who they had a dream for their life and it looks nothing now like they thought it would look. And we're not asking you, Lord, to put it back the way they thought it would look. We're, we're asking that you would come in, that you would bring healing so that they would see their life the way you want it to look, the way you designed it to look. And Lord, there are others who just drifted just gotten a little bit off center and I couldn't really say right now that you are in the place that you deserve in their life but we know that you're standing on the front of the porch leaning ready to run and so I pray that they would turn and see you run know that's your heart. Make it ours. In Jesus' name.